Morning all. Today's passage is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but seventy but 70 times 7. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then... After he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all this debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Imagine you saved your favorite meal to eat, you put it in a plastic container, you've written your name on it, you've put it away, maybe in a fridge or a cupboard. As you go to work, all you're thinking about is when you get to go home, pull it out and savor every bite. Time slows down at work. It feels like years have gone by, but finally, you're on your way home. The distance and time that kept you from this delicious experience is shortening. Nothing can stop you. You open your door to your home, you walk over to where you put it, and it's missing. You look in other locations thinking, maybe you misremembered where you placed it. Eventually, you come up with the idea to ask your spouse or your housemate if they know where it went 
and they say those dreaded three words. I ate it. How dare they deny you this joy? You leave the room before you say anything you regret. You can't even look them in the eye anymore. Trust is fully broken, and you don't know whether you'll be able to forgive them. Forgiveness is asked of us every day, lasting from mere moments to whole years. You watch a movie and find that all the good scenes were put in the trailer. Will you forgive them? A sibling breaks something you cherished. Will you forgive them? A colleague takes credit for what you did. A friend in anger uses something personal you shared in confidence against you. A loved one cuts ties with you. Will you forgive them? As long as there is brokenness in this world, we will be confronted with the question, will I forgive them? And depending on how weighted that question feels to us, will influence how we come to this parable where a man refuses to forgive and is condemned for it. And I want to acknowledge up front that for some people in this room, this has been or is currently right now one of the hardest things to work through. Given we all have different experiences to forgiveness, some of us might find forgiving others to be impossible. We are always talking about forgiveness as Christians, and given that our faith is founded on God's forgiveness of us, it can be strange how hard or foreign practicing this can feel. So how does our faith shape our approach to forgiveness? And how does this parable not only not oppress us, but free us to practice forgiveness? If I haven't met you before, my name is Jared, I'm a student minister here, and my hope is that as we explore what forgiveness looks like, and how our forgiveness is shaped by the gospel, that forgiveness would be a freeing experience in its right timing and framework. That because God has forgiven us, it is right, necessary, and possible to forgive others. So as we explore what this parable says, and uh, I'm going to pray for us that God would help us through this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know what burdens each of us are carrying right now. Please help us to lay them down before you and to listen to your word. May we be people transformed by your forgiveness and embodiments of your mercy. Amen. Now, there are three natural scenes in this parable based on the interactions between characters. And I'm going to structure this sermon around these. So we'll see true forgiveness in the first scene, a refusal to forgive in the second, and a consequence in the third. For some context, we read the first verse in here. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, Jesus has just spent some time in this chapter describing how a congregation of believers is to function. Specifically, 
what is to happen when a believer does wrong and how we are to forgive them for it. So Peter's response to this is basically, am I like just supposed to forgive them for that week? To which Jesus states, not just that week, but always. I mean, that sounds excessive, right? But Jesus continues to, by expanding this with the parable that we just read. It starts by saying in verse 23, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. So, entering into this parable, we are receiving a description of God's kingdom. And its purpose is to shape our understanding and eventual response to forgiveness. Now, before we go any further, I want to specify how the Bible understands forgiveness. So, when we think about forgiveness in culture, a simple Google search will bring up words like excuse, allow, tolerate. So, we're led to understand forgiveness as an acceptance or an enabling of harmful behavior or words. However, the, Bible uses, use, the Bible's use of this word shows us a better meaning. The word for forgive used in this passage is often understood as to release, send away, divorce, separate. This understanding doesn't condone what was harmful, but chooses to release the burden of it, to divorce yourself from its weight. So, A working definition I want to put to this idea of forgiveness is the decision to not hold someone's sin against them. This isn't about forgetting, but about letting go of the vengeance or anger you might hold towards them. So our first scene is between a master and his servant, and right off the bat, That forgiveness is an insane thing to hear. That is 200,000 years of wages in that time. I don't even want to think about how that servant got themselves into this mess. But I'm sure that it's impossible for him to get out of it. But imagine the government waiving a hex debt, a bank waiving a home loan, a school waiving tuition fees... That kind of thing just doesn't happen without good reason. And the original hearers of this parable are probably thinking the same thing. An astronomical amount of debt, more than one could hope to pay off in a lifetime, cleared in an instant. Immediately, we are supposed to realize that any human master would not have done this. Our understanding of the enormous generosity from the master can only lead us and the original audience to think one thing. 
that this level of compassion can only come from God. For the original audience, this would probably cause them to think about God's forgiveness and faithfulness throughout the Old Testament. How despite all that Israel had done against him, the debt that they had created, that God still chose to forgive and save them. For us, we can't help but think about the price Jesus paid for our sins. That we are forgiven by his blood. That through him, we are given new life, a relationship with God, and a family that we are saved into. When this kind of forgiveness is in the back of our minds, we can't help but think how this would change the servant's life. So imagine this servant. Their master went from suggesting selling everything they own and every person that they love to completely pardoning them from this debt. How would that change their outcome of life, their outlook of it? How would this newfound freedom, how would that look? change your outlook on life, on your generosity towards people? Well, it doesn't take too long for us to see this change in that servant, but not in the way that we would hope. The second scene comes in, and we're greeted with arguably the exact opposite of what we would assume would happen, where the servant is given an opportunity to forgive and refuses. Verse 28, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. This second scene sets up a classic comparison with the first. But there are two key differences here. Firstly, there is a difference in debts. For the servant to the master, the debt was 10,000 talents, literally 200,000 years' wages during that time. For the other servant, who owed 100 denarii, That's just 100 days of wages. While this first debt seems impossible for someone to even find themselves in, its purpose is to make the significant debt of 100 days of wages look like an insignificant speck in comparison. But the second and most important difference is the response, which contrasts itself with the one key similarity that a servant has begged for mercy word for word in the exact same way. In the first scene, we see a master have compassion on their servant. However, in this scene, the servant's compassion is nowhere to be found. In its context, this can sound like an outrageous thing to hear. Here's this man, freshly freed from a debt that could never have been paid off, 
and he's throwing a man into prison who could have paid his debt back within the year. But I don't think we are that different from the unforgiving servant. If we just imagine the scenario that someone refuses to pay for another's coffee, that doesn't sound unfair. If anything, it's perfectly reasonable. When someone does something wrong, we not only want the apology, but we want their actions to show that they mean it. When a celebrity does something bad in a public space, we're quick to cancel them, to lose respect for them, claim that they don't deserve forgiveness. And for the most part, it is right to hold someone up for their actions and to show them the consequences. But for the servant who, sh- who refused to show grace over 100 days' wages, if we add in the context that they had just had 200,000 years of debt wiped just before, suddenly it starts to feel a little outrageous. For someone who is refusing to pay for another's coffee, if we knew that they had just had their groceries paid for them, Does that change how we feel towards the situation sounding reasonable? What is it about this extra step that turns something from feeling right to feeling kind of wrong? Well, our third and final scene has something to say about it, the consequence to forgiveness. From verse 31... When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. There's a classic phrase amongst Christians that I often hear, that I often heard throughout high school. Hate the sin, love the sinner. What it typically means is that there is more to a person than their actions. That just because you hate what someone does, doesn't mean you should extend that hate to every part of them. C.S. Lewis explores this phrase, stating, For a long time, I used to think this a silly, straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing this all my life, namely myself. However much I might dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things that I loved, the, the reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did those things. When the master forgave the astronomical debt of the slave, he didn't see the amount. 
He saw the person. He says at the end of verse 32, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Not because a generous donor had paid off the debt. Not because the master just thought it was pretty small of a debt. Because he saw his servant begging and chose to bear that cost for him. That is why God forgives us. He doesn't look at our debts big or small. He doesn't keep a record of them or expects that we repay him in some kind of way. He sees us begging in need of saving from the weight of our debt and he gladly frees us from it. But not only that, he pays off that astronomical debt through his only son. Our debt was so great, it demanded nothing short of our very lives. And yet Jesus gladly paid it for us so that we can be freed. Now the clencher here is that the servant experienced this forgiveness and didn't extend it, which causes the master to say in verse 33, shouldn't you, have, shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? After we hear of the servant being thrown in jail as a consequence to selfishly accepting forgiveness and refusing to offer it, Jesus concludes in verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister in your heart. <clears throat> what we need to see here is firstly that by ourselves, we cannot truly forgive. It is only when we receive God's mercy that we are capable of freely forgiving others. But also... What is being laid out here is not a forgive or else scenario. God's grace, the kingdom that this parable is being compared to, is one that is transforming us as believers to have a new posture of forgiveness. A framework found in Christ's forgiving work on the cross that enables us to have greater mercy for our brothers and sisters than we thought was possible. Feeling unable to forgive others is not a deal-breaker in your relationship with God. Forgiveness is a hard thing and often takes time to release that resentment towards an offender. But what Jesus is getting here is that a complete inability to forgive or brother or sister means that you might not have fully grasped what it means for you to be forgiven by God. It's impossible to imagine someone who has tasted the goodness and graciousness of God in his forgiveness of sins, and for that to not have radically changed our posture towards others. Being forgiven by God is liberating. And because God has forgiven us, it is right, necessary, and possible 
to forgive others. Which leads us back to why this parable was provided in the first place. Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. What does it mean for us to live out this 70 times seven forgiveness? Firstly, as I said at the beginning, for some of us, forgiveness has been or currently is the hardest thing we face. And so hearing this statement to forgive can feel impossible. Tim Keller says, forgiveness is granted before it is felt. It's a promise before God not to take revenge on a wrongdoer for his or her sin against you. At first, when you make those commitments, granting forgiveness, you don't feel forgiving at all. You are still angry, and that's natural. But if you keep the commitments in a disciplined way, which will be hard, and you remember the vertical dimension, that you're a sinner living wholly by God's grace, then slowly but surely you will feel the forgiveness you have granted. This doesn't deny the difficulty or the pain that you might be feeling. In fact, it honors it as real and honest. But it does call you to remain in the forgiveness of God. Firstly, for release. And secondly, for healing. It reminds you that you are surrounded by a family of forgiven people who are willing to walk with you through this valley, just as God has walked with all of us in forgiveness. So I encourage you, if you are in this, be open about your struggle to forgive. Secondly, I think for all of us, this radical mercy confronts our understanding as we engage with our culture about forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. Many times I find non-Christian friends confused and annoyed that a Christian would be so willing to forgive. To welcome in the forgiven criminal, to love the drug addict, to forgive the person who by all other means doesn't deserve forgiveness, but has placed their trust in Christ. But also, we can struggle to forgive people in this very room, who we call brothers and sisters. A distinction that's important to make is that God's forgiveness is complete and assured, but human forgiveness is frail and in need of repeating. The majority of us sitting in this room have been forgiven totally by God, and that mercy is what unites us together as a family. But we are a broken and messy family, always prone to hurting one another and always in need of forgiveness. Because God has forgiven us, 
It is right, necessary, and possible to forgive others. So as we gather, as we engage with the world, always keep the forgiveness of God in the center of your hearts and in the forefront of your minds. Let your status as forgiven members, freed from all debt, be the foundation of your relationships with one another. And may forgiveness always be ready on your lips as we fellowship with one another. What are you going to do this week to live out the forgiveness of God in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, remind us each day of your grace towards us. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us and help us to extend that same grace to our neighbor. May we live this week as freely forgiven and joyfully forgiving members of your family. Amen.